Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me for the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. On this edition, we're talking union hockey and college hockey. Later, I'll speak with USCHO.com senior writer Jimmy Connolly about a potential change to the hockey structure. Union hockey beat writer Mike McAdam joins me now. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Good. How's everybody doing? I'm well, good. they're good. Uh, we got a week off for the Dutchman this week. Kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Plus, um, RPI is going to Western Michigan for some crazy trip in the middle of the, the heat of the ECAC battle, and they're they're going out there for two games. It seems pretty unusual. Yeah, I can't recall a time when this ever happened when you took a break from ECAC hockey play. Yeah, granted, you have the oddball schedule with Harvard and the hockey uh, or the the bean pot. Right. Um, your team they'll play they'll play on a Friday and that'd be it. Um, but to see a union team not even play, at least RPI is playing some games, but just it just seems kind of a strange. Has Rick Bennett ever addressed that? Um, no, we never brought it up, and and we were. You know, schedule-wise, we're not going to get a chance to get over there, but we'll find out next week, you know, how, how they put this extra time to use. Um, you know, they, it probably doesn't hurt a little bit to kind of recharge, although I'm sure they would probably want to keep playing after how they, they did against Dartmouth in their last game on Saturday. I mean, they, they're probably championing the bit to get back out there. Well, 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 before we talk about the Dartmouth game, we must to talk about that the debacle that was the 8-5 game against Harvard <laughs> the night before on uh, last Friday night. Uh, seemingly, uh, yeah, Union seemed to play pretty well in that uh, first period. Then they had a one nothing lead, and then uh, I guess all hell broke loose in that second period for six second period goals by the Crimson. Yeah, and and uh, I think you know Harvard's the kind of team that can do that to somebody, and they did. I mean, they're snipers, and they finish. And I think you texted me on Saturday during the Dartmouth game. Maybe uh, Harvard had hung around, referring to how well Union was playing out. <laughs> I almost texted back saying, "Well, if, if Harvard was playing like this, it, it would it would have been six nothing after the first period against Dartmouth instead of one nothing because they finish and they they just have a ton of skill up front and uh, you know they peppered Darian Hansen, the starting goalie for five goals and uh, at that point um, they took him out and put uh, Josh Graziano, the newly arrived Josh Graziano freshman, um, to finish out the second half of the the." The Harvard nightmare, uh, which wound up eight five final. Um, yeah, a little closer than it was, but obviously I don't think it was that close. Yeah, no, nah, no, no. It was eight to three, and and you know Rick Bennett, to his credit, he said, you know, we're not quitting here. So he pulled um, Graziano with you know four oh five left in the third period, where they were down eight three, and they snuck in a couple goals from Zach Amalifo in the scoring machine, um, <laughs> <laughs> who has two two goal games this year, by the yeah. way, five total goals. Um, to kind of make the score a little more respectable, eight to five. Um, but and Union really did play well in the first period, yeah. which they apparently bottled and brought with them uh, against Dartmouth on Saturday. Well, the one thing we talked about last week with Harvard is their power play. You have to stay away from that, and Union did not. Harvard scored three power play goals in five attempts. Yeah, and and you know you can talk about that all you want beforehand, which we did. <laughs> and after Harvard had a four for four last year. And uh, but it's easier said than done. And, you know, once you're in the box there, I mean, they just smell blood and it's over. I mean, was Hanson to blame for some of those goals, all those goals, none um, of those goals? 
I can't even remember to tell you the truth because it was kind of a blur. And I mean, we're talking, he gave up five goals in a span of, let's see, 146 to 17. So, you know, under 16 minutes, he gave up five goals. And frankly, I can't even remember. I mean, when they're on the power play, actually during that stretch, only one of them, and it was the last goal to make it uh, five to one or, or six to one. Um, uh, was a power play goal. So yeah, I'm sorry, that one yeah. actually was against Graziano. Yeah. So so Hanson did not actually give up a power play goal. So I think that says that maybe he was not having it, you know, it wasn't his night. Um so and then subsequently, you know, they, they he got pulled for Graziano and then Graziano got got the start. Yeah, which we'll talk uh, about now. Dartmouth. I mean it was uh how did he look on Saturday against Dartmouth? I mean I didn't think he looked that great, uh, frankly. I mean he only made 19 saves out of 22. Um the, the first goal was a brilliant play by Will Graber. I don't know who was going to stop that one. He picked up the puck at the blue line, skated in, made a move from the right circle across the crease, deep Taylor, but I think it was Taylor Briley that fell to the ice, and Graziano was, like, floundering, you know, trying to do something, and Graber just flipped this beautiful backhand off the crossbar and in. So great, you know, individual effort by him. And then the other two goals, I was just looking at the replay on the Dartmouth Twitter site, and they were very similar. They were wrist shots from the right circle. Um, one of them, let's see, at least one of them was on the power play. And yeah, the yeah, second and, goal, they're Quinn, Quinn they were both by Quinn Foreman. The first one was on the power play, but they were kind of similar insofar as they were wrist shots from the right circle where he kind of made the initial save, but they scored on the uh, the rebound. They both to his glove side. You know, I think one of those he could probably should have squeezed it and not had a rebound out there, but. You know, uh, back to your original, you know, just of your question, you know, I mean, he had only had 19 saves. He gave up three goals. Is actually – Not that, yeah. You know, he, he wasn't really – this. he was the story at the beginning of the game because it was big news that Hanson was, was sat down in place of this kid who's only been here since December. And But once the puck dropped, the, the story became how well Union was playing in the first – Period. And he barely had to do any work. I mean, uh, it was 16 to four at one point shots on goal in favor of union in the first period. It wound up being 16, eight, but um, you know, they got three power plays to work with. And I, to, to this day, I don't know how they weren't winning at least two nothing or three nothing after the first period. So many good chances. Anthony Rinaldi must be kicking himself. He had so he and Parker Fu had so many like backdoor kind of two on one, two on two ish rushes that, uh, credit to Adrian Clark, the Dartmouth goalie, who was absolutely spectacular and kept them in the game. No other way to, to, to say it in the first period. Um, yeah, okay. And they picked it right up in the second period. Well, too. I think you know, Will Graber scores at 7-16 in the second period to tie it at one, and everybody's probably thinking, oh, here we go again. Union plays a great first period, and then they're going to stink it up in the second period. But uh, uh, 21 seconds later, uh, Christian Sanda gets a goal. I mean, how big was that to – Stop, stop any potential bleeding. Um, you know, I think that was just a continuation of the freight train that had already left the station. The, the much bigger goal was Sean Harrison with, uh, I think it was four well, tenths of a second. Yeah, according, according to this, point one. Well, to the, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It was one tenth of a second left. And it was a beautifully designed play. Vas Kolias, who had a wonderful game along with Rinaldi and a bunch of other people, the list is too long to, to name everybody, but Vas Kolias had another great setup on that play. And that was a way bigger goal. And Bob Gaudet, the Dartmouth coach, really you know, pinpointed that one as a killer because, A, 
you know, you're in the locker room 3-1. It's a huge difference between 3-1 and 4-1. And B, I mean, they were one-tenth of a second away from getting in there. And and uh, that was a killer goal. Santa's goal, like I said, I mean, they were playing so well. It was just like, I mean, the sudden suddenness of it was pretty eye-opening. But it was like, that was just kind of like, all right, Dartmouth scored. Oh, let's continue on our way yeah. and keep doing the things we were doing. And the Harrison goal ended up being the game winner. So that's even right. more of a killer right. for, for Dartmouth. So, uh, you know, they talk about don't give up that goal in the final minute of the play. Don't, you know, obviously not only the final minute, but the final second of, of the second period. Which yeah, and I will uh, characterize the goal as kind of a one-timer, which head coach Rick Bennett was pleased with. At least two or three of their goals were just on, you know, good pinball passing plays. And just the, the shooter just basically had to pull the trigger as soon as the puck hit, hit the blade. And they did that. You know, they got a couple nice goals like that. So we do not have a goaltending controversy. No, not even close. <laughs> no, no, that's absurd. <laughs> Absolutely absurd. No. Um, and, and I go back to it. I should have used this quote in my story. I just, you know, we're scrambling for time. But uh, I just went through my tape recorder like 10 minutes ago. And, and he characterized it as more of a reset. They hit the reset button when they, when they started Graziano on Saturday. Um, you know, Darian Hansen was totally professional about the whole thing. We haven't talked to him yet, but we'll, we'll get around to that and took it like a professional. And, you know, at the same time, Rick also, you know, as a, as a coda to the, the reset quote, he said, you know, we're trying to create a competition for ice time among every position, including goaltender and, and nobody should be complacent and comfortable and think that, that that job is there. Yeah. So it was kind of you know, like from a timing standpoint during the season, it was a great time to do it because, you know, they're hitting a stretch run and they've got some very important games. If they're going to have a glimmer of hope for home ice down the stretch and they're going to need Hanson at his best. And so from a timing standpoint, I, you know, it was probably a nice time for a little bit of a wake up call. Yeah. And certainly the circumstances of the game warranted it, yeah. the Harvard game. Yeah. Garrett Nieto has not played because he's been hurt all year. Yes. He's been hurt. Uh, all year. Merrick pipes, uh, I think he's only seen one. He's been in action once. He gets at UMass, and that was it. Yeah. Hey, what's what's his status? I mean, I don't know. I guess they him. just like Graziano, Graziano better. Um, it, they're two physically. They're two different um, creatures. Uh, Merrick Pipes is kind of a small, athletic kid, and, and Graziano is very tall. He might even be an inch taller than uh, Hanson. Um, you know, kind of a tall, rangy guy. So. Uh, yeah. They're both listed as 6'3 here on the roster, but Graziano weighs 20 pounds more, so I don't know that's a big deal. You mean Hanson in the comparison? Graziano is 6'3, and Hanson's listed as 6'3, but Graziano. What's Pipes, though? Uh, Pipes, 5'11. Uh, five, uh, five right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, I, they've. And Nieto's 6'4. Right. We've written about this a million times about how they pick their goalie and who's going to play in any given week. You know, certainly. That was a continued theme all last year when it was Kupski and Hanson together. Now it's Hanson clearly, you know, is the number one. It's not even close. And so the difference between Pipes and Graziano, I'm not sure really how to make that distinction. The kid's only been around for yeah. for like not even two months, basically. So next week they go to Cornell and Colgate, uh, I believe. Uh, yes, and Cornell is first. Yeah, and Docket. Cornell has been, you know, I think ever since. They got shut up. They got shut up by Quinnipiac five nothing. It's not the end of right. the and it was three Friday. nothing after yeah. the first yeah. period too. I mean, they just wiped them out right from the get go. Um, and they struggled against Prince a little bit. There was two two for the longest time. Yeah, I mean, right now looking at the remaining schedule after they have this weekend off, you know, Yale is immediately ahead of Union, but I, it looks like they have a way better chance of catching Dartmouth than they do. Um, 
Yale, even though Dartmouth is a couple points ahead, just based on games, two things, games remaining, which Yale, um, they have two games in hand against Union, and they're already two points ahead. Um, Dartmouth only has one game in hand, and a key thing is Union still has a game against Dartmouth before the end of the season. They won't see Yale again, so they don't have a chance to like get their hands on them and, and do some true. firsthand damage to you know in the standings. Dartmouth, they do. So I actually yeah. think they have a better chance of and they just played very well against them, too. So That's the next to last game of the regular season. They put yeah. up the uh, Hanover, New Hampshire. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's crazy right now. I mean, they, like you said, uh, Union's uh, just two points out of that last home ice spot for the first round. But mm-hmm. Yale, uh, Yale – Yeah, they're up against it. Yeah, Yale have those two games this weekend. They uh, play Quinnipiac, the New Haven rival, and then they play Brown. So that's uh, – That'll be um, that's like I mean, three I mean, points I'm sorry, no matter what. Sorry, take, play Princeton, not uh, right. So um, that's that's going to be a, a big battle there. That's so. like two free swings for Yale to, to get more points and get more of a gap on Union, yeah, and then so. they're even with games left. And they got I mean, Union's really got to hope Brown loses both games. It's sort of a quandary. Brown's only a point back, so <laughs> you got to watch who's behind you as much as looking ahead to who's in front of you. Yeah. So we'll we'll actually talk more about those uh, Cornell Colgate games uh, next week on the podcast. But coming up. My interview with USCHO.com's Jimmy Conley about Hockey East. You listen to the Body Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hi, I'm Cena Men's Cross Coach Liam Gleason, and you're listening to the Party Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back on the Quality Shots podcast, and a uh, very interesting situation going on in Hockey East. Uh, if you uh, know is the fact that they're looking not only looking for a commissioner, but now there may be uh, some changes that may render Hockey East uh, as the way we know it. Uh, Moot, and uh, the man who wrote the story on USCHO.com is our senior writer, uh, Jimmy Connolly, who covers Hockey East for them. And Jimmy, welcome to the Quality Shots podcast, and how are things going? Uh, things are going well. As, you know, we were just talking about the year at that time of year, kind of, the roller coaster is heading down toward the end. I can kind of see the light at the end of this tunnel. <laughs> I know it's a, it's been a long season, but so far, you know, some teams are having fun, some teams aren't. But uh, let's talk about this hockey situation, Jimmy. Uh, you wrote we have they're looking for a new commissioner. They're basically shoving uh, Joe Britannia out the door uh, after this season. But you found out something interesting that uh, the way hockey East is configured right now, we may see a different hockey East down the road. What, what's going on? We, we could. Um, it does seem that there's a faction of athletic directors who um, have approached uh, America East um, to come in and kind of give a pitch on maybe, I, I don't want to say absorbing the league into America East structure, because the more I've talked to people, the more i found out about this. It does seem that this would be a little bit of an administrative move, maybe a cost-cutting move on behalf of Hockey East. Um, it, you know, it would give Hockey East or the current, whatever you want to call the league, I don't know what the brand would be. People tell me the brand itself wouldn't change, but um, it would give the league a little bit more power from the NCAA standpoint because you really don't have anybody out there to fight for you um, as a single-sport conference, so you'd have a multi-sport conference. Um, and it might give them some administrative help, marketing help, maybe office space, those types of things. Um, it does seem that whatever the decision is that will be made won't be uh, thrust upon any new commissioner. This would be something that the new commissioner would be able to work with the athletic directors if they were to choose to go this route. Um, 
story and wrote about it, I thought that it was um, a little bit more catastrophic than it, it, it turned out to be. You know, you, you've written a lot of stories where you're trying to get the scoop and all that sort of stuff, and um, you don't get people to talk to you until you actually write. And then once you write, everybody comes out of the woodwork and they want to give their statements and they want to give their thoughts. And, you know, I'm not saying that this is a dead proposal. It's, I don't know if it has as much momentum as it probably did a few weeks ago. Um, and I think a lot of it might be that people's eyes opened a little bit uh, when my story came out. I don't want to take any credit for that, but, um, you know, it, I, I, we, this might be something that is just a moot point at this point, um, but it's something to keep our eyes on because it could really change some of the structure within Hockey East. And obviously, um, I don't know that every one of the 11 members would be in favor. Of course, you don't always need 11 members. What When you have 11, all you usually need is six. So, um, I guess there's a lot there's a lot of moving pieces here, but something definitely to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, in college hockey, the only uh, conference that sponsors hockey that's an all-conference uh, uh, league is uh, the Big Ten. So, And you look at the Hockey East has four American East teams in Maine, New Hampshire, UMass, Lowell, and Vermont. Uh, Boston University used to be part of the uh, American East until a few years ago. But for, but for schools like a Boston College, which is in, AC, in the ACC, I mean, what would they be thinking if this uh, league went, went under the, the America East umbrella? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, uh, nobody really wants to answer that on, on an inside or a hypothetical basis, and I understand that. Um, you know, but, but BC might be the only school with really a, a viable option. You know, if they uh, were to decide they wanted to leave the league for some reason, it would be hard for them to do it because they have so many good rivalries built. You know, obviously the BCBU rivalry being one of the best in college hockey. But could they conceive, uh, conceivably move to the Big Ten, um, you know, similar to what Notre Dame did? I don't know if that's always the best option because those teams now have a great geographic footprint in the Big Ten and BC would be a, a significant outlier. But the budget's there to do it, certainly. Um, the Big Ten would align in terms of what a, a conference that a, a school like Boston College would like to play in. BC is a school that a, a conference like the Big Ten wouldn't mind having as an affiliate. Um, but that's very hypothetical. I just don't know. You know, there's, there's certain schools out there, and BC is one that comes to mind, maybe Providence, UConn, that really wouldn't want to go for this type of structure. Um but I don't know that they would have a lot of options if that were the case. That, you know, I don't see this turning into some sort of a major restructuring of college hockey like we did with, when the Big Ten was formed and the, uh, basically the CCHA fell apart. The WCHA looked nothing like it you know, did uh, you know, before the formation of the Big Ten. So I, I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into you know, what it could mean for other teams, in, in, you know, especially like a Boston College. But I do think if, it was, if this happened... It, BC would have the most options of anybody. Yeah, I mean, hypothetically, I mean, if BC were to decide that they did not want to be a part of this, you mentioned Big Ten. What about coming back to ECAC hockey? That's a really interesting um, thought. You know, numbers don't always work out in that case. You know, I don't think any conference would want 13 teams. You kind of have to pull some more back in with you, but there, that's where Providence or Connecticut or somebody else might might move along. I think that that's probably a little bit um, more of a stretch just because BC as an institution has changed so much since 1983. They've grown. Their athletic department is a lot bigger. They consider themselves um, 
one of the higher profile schools in the country, whether they are or not. Um, and the ACC kind of gives them the ability to have that attitude about themselves. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure that that would be the greatest option, but it's, I think anything that gets put on the table, if if teams, if, if schools aren't happy with whatever the new result is when the, the new commissioner is in place, if teams aren't happy, then there's millions of options on the table when you really think about it. There's so many different ways you can go from working to form your own conference to moving into other conferences. We've seen it. If the fit is right, conferences find room for anybody. If the fit is wrong, they will do everything possible to keep you out. So, I, you know, we're going to have a lot of weird options here coming up when you think about the WCHA and how they're going to restructure and that, you know, seven of their teams are, are going to be leaving the league in a few years. And, and that leaves two Alaskan teams and Alabama Huntsville homeless. There's going to be a lot of restructuring that happens anyway in college hockey. You know, maybe that's the time that Hockey East feels the best to, to maybe jump in on restructuring as well. And we'll start all the rumors again about you know, ECAC you know, absorbing some of the Atlantic hockey teams. I know for years there's always talk about RIT and maybe some of the other Western New York teams you know, joining ECAC hockey. So it's going to be a, you know, we're, we're back to what we were a few years ago, Jimmy. It's going to be a lot of interesting uh, rumors out there. We'll, we'll keep following it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, and the one thing I've talked about with a lot of people, I would hope this time, and it probably won't happen, but I would, I would hope this time that there would be more community within college hockey. You know, there's only 60 teams right now. And for, for a sport with that few teams, you should be able to get people in a room and sit them down and work for the best of the game. But I still think there's too much provincialism right now where conferences are working for themselves. And then within conferences, certain teams are working for themselves. They don't really you know, care to wave the conference umbrella. They're just worried about themselves. So it's going to take a little bit more selflessness um, if we're going to do what's best for college hockey. I'm not guaranteeing anybody that that will happen because I'm not sure that all the right personalities are there to, to take a selfless approach to this. And I think the business structure of college athletics has changed enough over the years that that becomes a little more impossible. As I mentioned at the top of this, Jimmy, the fact that uh, Joe Britannia will be um, stepping aside, not I guess not on his own terms, uh, as commissioner of uh, Hockey East. Uh, I mean, what's this? I mean, to me, it seems like it's really unfair the way they're treating Joe uh, he should be able to over 20 years with with the league, and I know I know him from his days at ECAC hockey. I mean, it, it seems to me that he's being shoved out, and not really, he should be able to retire on his own. What do you think? Um, yeah, I would. I somewhat agree with that. Um, he and I have had we've had our battles over the years, but I consider him a friend, and I think he would say the same. Um, I think that what he has done for that league over the 23 years he's been there is is a positive. Not everybody feels that way. Some people felt that he didn't do enough to promote the Hockey East brand. He didn't do enough to continually build the, the Hockey East brand. And unfortunately, a lot of people look to the NCHC and say, hey, why can't we have that? And there's reasons that Hockey East can't be the NCHC. To me, the number one reason is that the number one sport on each of the 11 campuses in Hockey East is not hockey. In the NCHC, for the most part, it is. And I think that that's what people forget, that it's, you know, it's not always going to be about hockey. And 
athletic directors at the 11 schools are almost not worried about hockey because each of them have an all-sport conference that takes up a lot more of their time and takes up a lot more of their effort and energy. So the focus on hockey is a little bit lost. So to beat Joe Britannia up for that, in my opinion, you know, was not a little bit unfair. I think he would have liked to have stayed two more seasons. That would have given him 25 total with Hockey East, and that was really, I think, the number he was aiming toward. Um, you know, to push him out a little bit early, I understand where they're trying to go. The whole thing is, is now you've got to go out and find somebody that can pr- provide what you have as this imaginary vision in your head of what this league should be. Maybe that person's out there. I hope they are. But if they're not, you you know you you know kind of put a little. I don't want to say it's put a black eye on the league, but it certainly created a lot of animosity between you know say the faction that really has supported Britannia for a long time and the faction that that just hasn't. Yeah, and in reading your story, I mean the quote that Vermont Athletic Director Jeff Schulman had uh, in this search. And he's, he, he, this, to me, is a damning quote. Uh, we're looking for a visionary, a strategic thinker, someone who has good organizational skills, who has a high level of financial acumen, who is savvy about media and understands revenue generation, and obviously it's important that they have a passion for hockey. Last time I checked, I think Joe Britannia has a passion for hockey. Oh, he certainly does. Um, I think if there was anything that anyone can point to in um, Joe's tenure that hurt him the most, it was falling behind on um, media. And, and the, you know, I think you go back, it's about four or five years now when uh, the league cut ties with its longtime partner, Nesson, um, where Nesson used to go out and produce one game every week for most of the season, um, certainly the second half of the season always, but they you know, would have a few before Christmas. And so they cut, cut that out. They went to a company, if you remember, ACN, which I think was American College Network, which was going to go in and do all these productions at a cut rate cost. Well, unfortunately, after one year, they were out of business, and that left hockey kind of sitting there with their hands empty, saying, boy, we put it, we, they put a lot of effort in, and I think they paid a consulting company to go out and find them the best media deal. And then you can't just go walk back to Netflix and say, hey, can we have that old deal back again? Hey, we screwed you over last year, but can we have that deal? So, you know, they lost that part of the puzzle and then not really keeping up on a streaming uh, platform. They have one now, CBS All Access, um, streams all of the hockey's home games, which is um, a good thing for the league to finally get that. It's an affordable thing for the fans. I think it's $10 a month or something like that. So they've gotten to that point now, but it's almost one of those things that was done too late. Um, And they, they might have what might be the best Nesson deal ever right now where almost all of their games that are produced can be put on Nesson and Nesson, you know, worship the schools to take a certain number of those games. So they have more TV, they have their online streaming platform. I think it was just taking too long to get there. Uh, that was a big part of, you know, the reason that they decided to cut ties with Joe. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, TV and all that, we got a chance on NHL Network Monday to watch the Bean Pop, which was great. The first, uh, the first round of it, then the uh, Exciting second game where BU uh, rallies to uh, you know, get a 4-3 lead on Boston College. Boston College is tied to the power play goal. They go to a mini overtime, then they go to a full overtime, and BU ends up winning. So they'll play Northeastern next Monday. 
uh, in the uh, championship game. Uh, just your thoughts about that uh, game, Jimmy. And uh, also, uh, technically, the first tie in, I think, I believe, the first tie in a semifinal game because of the new uh, rules where you have to play the five-minute overtime, and once that's decided and nobody wins, uh, you have a tie. Yeah, it's actually the first time in a tie in any Beanpot game. There was one way back when I was a young kid. Uh, Boston College, I think, was playing Harvard in a consolation game. And uh, it was actually a game that was going to give Lenny Siglarski some sort of a milestone victory. I don't know if it was going to put I think it was at the time putting him with the most wins of any college hockey coach. Obviously, that's been passed by plenty of coaches at this point. But uh, that game went to overtime. and looked like it was going to be a tie. I think it was Ken Hodge Jr. took a slap shot from center ice with two seconds left or a second left. The puck went in well after the buzzer. But because it was such a big win for Siglowski, the referees allowed the goal to stand. <laughs> <laughs> much to Billy, much to Billy Clary's dismay at Harvard. Um, so that that would have been the only tie. And I think we've had another another game get to that point really close, like last minute of overtime in a consolation game that would have potentially been um, a tie as well. They never happened. Now that we can have a tie in the semifinals, of course, the first year it's possible. You end up with that outcome. Uh, but it was good hockey on Monday night. I'll tell you, you know, Northeastern uh, was kind of a more surgical game, sloppy. Um, neither team seemed to really uh, get into that atmosphere and the momentum that Beanpot games can bring. Harvard didn't really have many fans. Northeastern had a great student section. Um, so it was a lot of building still, but it just wasn't, it didn't have the excitement that the second game had. And to be honest with you, the second game didn't have the excitement it had until the final seven minutes. BU's down by two goals. They take a penalty. You're saying, okay, this is it. Well, BC comes back with a penalty late during the power play. BU scores a four and four goal. Then goes on the power play. They score again at three three. Then you get a goal in the final, you know, I think it was 80 or 90 seconds of the game. It looks like BU's heading, you know, to the semifinals in regulation. Yeah. And then BC gets an extra attacker power play goal. We play the five-minute overtime. And then finally, a man named Wilmer Scoob scored one of the most famous goals in Beanpot history that will never be recorded on any score sheet because it doesn't count for stats because it happened in the second overtime. So this is one of the strangest Beanpot nights I'll ever remember. It was the hardest story to write that second game because you just didn't even know how to describe how a tie uh, was a win and, and Scoob's goal will never count. But... Uh, an interesting night. It should set up a really good final next Monday. Yeah, I was update when I was updating the standings for the, our paper uh, on Tuesday night. I had to figure. I had to explain why you know, it was it was a tie because then I say BU advances one nothing in double overtime. I was like, yeah, geez, it's kind of a weird explanation, but that's the way because it's it's obviously a four four game. Uh, and then yeah, obviously one nothing in the overtime period, but uh, be a lot of fun uh, Monday night uh, seven thirty as uh, BU and Northeastern battle for the Bean Pot Tub. Northeastern going for its third straight, right, uh, Jimmy? Yeah, it would be the first time that they've ever done it. Uh, they only appeared in three straight finals twice, once back in the eighties, uh, where they got two wins in that as well, and then recently um, earlier in uh, the last decade or somewhere around the. 13th to 15th, I think they appeared in all three finals, lost all three of those. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy to think that Northeastern, the team that went, you know, it, it took them until 1980 to win their first title, then they won all of their championships within eight years, and then they hadn't won another for 30 years. They finally break out a few years ago, and now they're going for three straight. Uh, great story for Jim Madigan, great story for that program. They've built themselves uh, very well, and they, this is 
Yeah. Well, Jimmy, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Jimmy Connolly. That's Connolly with me, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. And obviously, uh, U.S. College Hockey Online at USCHO on Twitter as well. Well, Jimmy, appreciate the uh, few minutes here to talk hockey. It's always great catch up with you, my friend. And uh, we'll talk soon, maybe so as we get toward the uh, Frozen Four. Yeah, that sounds great, Ken. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season. All right, you too. Thanks. That's Jimmy Connolly from USCHO.com. Back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Get your motor running and play today. Back on the Party Shots podcast as we get set to wrap things up here. A couple of uh, newsy notes for you. Uh, By the time you listen to this podcast... We'll have a new uh, United States citizen. Uh, Union Associate Head Coach Jason Tapp became a U.S. citizen on Friday. Uh, Tapp is originally from Kelowna, uh, British Columbia. He's been a, a he's a Boston University graduate and has been on the Union College coaching staff since uh, 2009-10 season when he was a volunteer. Uh, Mikey wrote a story in Monday Gazette about that. Uh, it's a big thing for him. I know he really is passionate about. You know, we won't get in, he's passionate about politics. I, I've seen I've seen his tweets about things uh we won't get into the rationale or, or anything about that but he, i i think he's he seems very happy about there's it. two things going on here and regardless of where he swings politically he's got three kids age five to ten and he wants to be able to he's going to be in this country he wants to be able to have some say in how things are done and that means getting a vote which is the, the, you know the main thing about uh you know getting his citizenship and the other thing for practical purposes his green card was up for expiration, and it's like I might as well pull the trigger and go, go the full boat. Um, especially since you get the side benefit of being able to vote and you know travel restrictions and stuff like that. So um, made a lot of sense. He's very proud, very happy about it. He, their their site. Um, his his kids are off from school on Friday, so they'll all be down there in Albany at eight thirty in the morning. And Jason, Jason's off too. That's because that's right. well, perfect he, timing. He mentioned that. He didn't have to like. <laughs> Call the, the United States uh, Naturalization Service and tell them, well, I got a game this weekend, so we do it some other time. So, um, yeah, so it really worked. Everything worked out well. It's going to be a very uh, proud moment for his whole family. Yeah. Uh, congratulations, Jason. Well, I was going to try to have an interview with him next week here on the podcast about that. Go and ahead. let's not forget uh, Owen Ferris, freshman on the team. He went through the same process two weeks ago, so he's a he's a new dual Canadian-American uh, citizen also. He's from uh, Vancouver. Uh, he lives in oh, Texas oh, the last eight years. All but. these British Columbia guys, what's going on? I, I see, I see a pattern here. So, uh, congratulations to Jason. Uh, and then uh, news that broke Wednesday, where t- as we taped this on uh, Wednesday, uh, former Union men's hockey coach uh, Kevin Snedden announced that he's retiring from uh, college hockey coaching. Uh, he's been at Vermont since the 2003-04 season. Uh, he's compiled a record of 249, 296, and 82. 
at Vermont, uh, but the last three years have not been uh, good for him. Uh, record since uh, their last winning season was 2016-17 when they went 2013-5. The record since then has been 25-57-14, including a, a really a just a off. I mean, you can't you sure code an awful 3-18-4 this season. Mm-hmm. One of those wins was over Union in the Catamount Cup. So uh, it's been. I mean, I've known Kevin since he became an assistant coach in under Bruce Delmenthal in 1993-94, shortly after uh, uh, pro career ended because of back issues. Uh, he was won a national championship with Harvard in 1989. Um, so it's a sad day, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what his next uh, venture is. He's been in college coaching a long time. And he's always been a class act with us. Um, you know, I haven't dealt with him nearly as much as you have, of course, but every time it's always been a welcome experience. Um, you know, it was fun because – We've had a couple instances in the last few years where we had the three union head coach, you know, current and two formers um, with the reunion. We have the, the one time was at the 2013-14 East Regional where, where Nate Lehman from Providence and Kevin from uh, Vermont and, and Rick Bennett from Union all showed up in the same place. Yeah. And then it happened again this year in yeah. the Catamount Cup. So, uh, yeah, best wishes to him, with, you know, whatever his next venture is. Like I said, always a class back to, to deal with yeah he's one side. yeah he's one one away from 300 his career overall record including a union is 299 395 and 40 uh, he came in a tough situation there at union uh actually shouldn't say came in but he was in a tough situation uh and i recall back in uh, the second after the second season that stan moore was the head coach uh stan wanted to get some things done and get be able to get players in to uh union which he he really couldn't because there were the restrictions as far as with, with how they could get uh, kids in. Mm-hmm. And I think what what I remember and recall and that they won't try to get some stuff done right away. And I think the, they said no. And uh, Stan resigned, went back to Colgate as an assistant coach. And Stan and uh, Kevin was elevated. And that first season, the 98-99 season was a complete disaster. Three, <laughs> 26 and three. And I recall in the, the last two games of the regular season when and they were on the road. We didn't even bother going down. It was well, it wasn't worth going down. I think it was the, the, the Princeton trip. And even, I, I just like, it's like so. Uh, but then slowly things turn around. They made the playoffs the next three years. The first two years were still under the old format where the top 10 teams made it. Uh, they, they got in the quarterfinals each year, lost to uh, St. Lawrence both times. And then in this final year, they got home ice for the first time and in the 2003 tournament and the first round. That was the first year of the uh, 12-team format. And they played RPI, and unfortunately for uh, Union, uh, they lost uh, to RPI in two games. And, of course, that was you know, punctuated in the second game by the memorable Ben Barr shorthanded goals and uh, uh, Chris Mayai coming out to play. Similar plays coming out to play the puck. And I remember the second time he did it, he's, I, go, I go in the press box, he's doing it again! <laughs> but uh, that was uh, – yeah, Kevin was a great guy to deal with and – Hey, he got you know he brought them through the door on their way to to national relevance, yeah. um, you know. So that was like the first step in the process. He was responsible for a lot of that. So I sent a message to Kevin on uh, Facebook. I hopefully we respond and uh, maybe we'll chat a little bit and see if we can't get him on the podcast to talk about what his future plans will be. Maybe he'll stick around coaching somewhere or just uh, maybe yeah, broadcast is a possibility. Who knows? <laughs> so. We shall see. Uh, we'll talk uh, about that later on. But uh, we're always happy to take your questions for the Union Hockey Mailbag. If you'd like to submit a question or a comment, you can email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at dailygazette.com. Look for my weekly ECAC Hockey Faceoff selection at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. 
You can participate in the face-off selections by emailing your picks to me at shot at dailygazette.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. Mike, uh, thanks for joining me once again. We'll do this again next week. We will, but we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Owen Savory's uh, sophomore goalie for RPI was named ECAC Hockey Goalie of the Month. He had a bunch of shutouts. He was like 12 seconds away from his from another shutout and uh, played phenomenally. He's on fire right now. He was 4-0-1 for the month uh, as RPI has kind of made a push here. So credit to him for, yeah. for playing very well right, right now. Yeah, exactly. RPI in, in the hunt for maybe even home ice in the uh, a first round by. So congratulations to Owen. Uh, the Party Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Follow us on social media. I'm at Slapshots on Twitter and Instagram, and Mike is on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. The views expressed in the Party Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. For Mike McAdam, thanks for listening. From the Party Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good hockey.